Welcome to Sagication. Um, this week, I'm, I'm extremely excited to get on. It's, to be honest, it's, I've had a huge amount of admiration for Melinda. Um, I've been watching her journey from afar, and I'm. It's a balance. I'm very inspired and impressed by her. Not only her talent, which is extremely high, but also I admire her, her ambition and how she is constantly looking to sort of develop herself but in a way that isn't like a lot of people who do endless courses and then do nothing with them every time I speak to her she's learning something new or she's offering something new and her sort of acceleration through the sort of design landscape has been extremely impressive so I wanted to bring Melinda on because I think she can offer a lot of value not only because she's an an incredibly talented um, designer and brand strategist but also she teaches this and I think you know she, she runs a couple of things which we'll get into which is there to help freelancing. And when I came across them, I was very impressed by how professional they were and the, the depth and caliber of information she was offering. So I thought, let's get her on. I know I'm certainly going to learn something from her. And I think everyone in the group will as well. So Melinda Livesey, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. No, my pleasure. This is kind of, um, as I said, I've been watching you and uh, on YouTube and have been very impressed. So I thought, you know, an excuse to get you on and pick your brains. Uh, would be fantastic. So I think for the for the group, if they haven't um, caught you on your various platforms, and uh, I think I came across you was it on the future Chris's show. Mm-hmm. Could you just fill us in on kind of um, I guess your 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 background and, and a little bit about you, how how you got started? Sure. So I um, I'm from Southern California, in the U.S., and um, I just went to a local state school here, studied graphic design and illustration, and I went into in-house design right out of college. So I got a job at Oakley. I was super excited. It was a massive company. Everyone um, said, you know, if you're going to get experience, you should go there because they were doing a portfolio review at my school. And so I landed it. I was so, so excited. I had great experience there, learned a ton, um, but always had that itch to work for myself. I always, I always wanted the experience of running my own show, of making my own schedule, all the great things that come along with having your own business. I wanted all that. And I did stay as an in-house designer for, uh, I was there on and off for seven years. I would quit and I freelanced for a few years and then I went back and um, I just, I learned a ton. I'm so thankful for that time that I was there. And then my time when I left, they had dissolved our creative department. And so I had a choice to either get another job or go out on my own. And I ended up deciding to go out on my own and and really make something of it this time, not just freelance and go hop around at different agencies, but actually put effort into either growing an agency or really putting myself out there as an expert, not just getting whatever job comes my way. And so I did that for about a year, I want to say a year and a half to two years before I met Chris Doe on the future and got invited to be on his YouTube show. During the same time, I had also produced um, an e-course for people who wanted to start freelancing. I had so many people asking me how to run their own thing. Even people I used to work with at the in-house job, a lot of them didn't even know how to freelance. And so they would come to me and learn from me and what I was doing. And I would just tell them what I did. Not like I was that big of an expert. I only knew what I did because of my experience all of those years. And so then I figured, well, why not package that and put that into an e-course. So I was doing that. Then I got on Chris's show um, and he had seen not only what I was doing with my branding um, consultancy, but also that I had that entrepreneurial spirit and that I did pursue things like teaching and the e-course. And so he found that very intriguing and um, asked me to be on the show. So I've been on that for about a year and a half now. I mean, I still have my consultancy and I still teach on the side too. So um, I have many plates that I'm spinning. Yeah, absolutely. And that transition, um, as you say, to, to make that leap to going from sort of in-house design and working within the comfort of an agency to then figuring out is, is, is really challenging. I mean, it must have been hard to make that leap initially. What were you, you know, what did that feel like? What was the conversations you were having with yourself? 
So when I left the in-house job, um, so really we all got laid off. So when I lost that job, um, I was really excited. Honestly, the first thought was, okay, now I can finally do what I wanted to do. But then I was terrified because I actually had to make it work. And that before, when I was at an in-house job, everything was given to me. I mean, everything, it was perfect. All I had to do was design. It was given to a production artist to produce. Then it was handed off to the production department to source and get it printed. And so I didn't even, I just had my one thing I had to do was design. Then when I was left out on my own, I had to do everything. And so at one one aspect I was excited and there was so much possibility and so many things I could do. And then the other, I was absolutely terrified because that means I had to run a business. I had to market. I had to um, potentially manage people. If I hired them, then I had to project manage and then I had to source and I had to produce things. And um, that was scary. That was really scary. So I had conflicting feelings when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, I certainly know that was one of my biggest regrets. I think when I um, left the agency as well was that I, I didn't spend more time learning more about how it worked and perhaps spending more time going to talk to different departments exa exactly about, well, how do I write a contract or, you know, what's the best way to go networking or where do you get clients? I never thought to ask anything practical. So as you say, you kind of have to have that awful balance of making sort of learning on the job and still bring in the money to sort of keep going. Yeah. And I would also say that in, it was really difficult in the in-house job to learn how a business works because it was so massive. I mean, the, the company was a $2 billion company. And so I never even saw the inner workings of how does a business actually run besides the department I was in. And mm -hmm. so I, but I could have utilized that time way better. I think back and I'm like, oh, I was so young and dumb. I could have I could have went to the art directors and the creative directors and got them to be mentors. And I learned from them, mm. but I think I, there was so much that I could have gleaned from them that I didn't during that time. So at least, and I would encourage anyone who's listening, if you, whatever you have, make the most of it. So if you have an in-house job, go find mentors to learn either design from or learn their experience that they had at agencies, just learn from them. Or if you're at an agency, learn the inner workings, ask to go to certain meetings that maybe you weren't invited to just because you want to learn every aspect of what's going on in the agency. So that's something I really wish I would have done. Um, but yeah, I had to learn there, you know, Google's my friend and I had to learn how to do contracts and I messed up a lot. And I asked friends of friends who were lawyers to help me out or to look at my contracts and really increased my network and just asked a ton of questions because no one, they, we didn't get taught that in school. We had no idea how to work for ourselves. No, I think that's um, that's certainly something that I mean you're fully aware of because you know you've talked about it before. That that does seem to be a failing. It does seem to me, um, having come through like a more academic, uh, you know, university and then gone into the agency world, from starting from scratch and then starting freelancing from scratch. That's a massive gap, isn't it? This this element of most people are very good at learning the discipline or the skill they want to learn, but when it comes to the business of that that's a real challenge and that's that's pretty unforgiving and, and it is can be quite boring to learn if that's not what you're sort of inclined to be interested in and I think that when I've certainly listened to what you have to say that it's very clear that you've you've really mastered that and you're very good at teaching that to other people and, and you said I mean the fact you were putting you were teaching people you'd worked with and you'd managed to put together a, you'd obviously got a grip on it enough to put a course together that was right wasn't it, it was that that's the Elance thing you were talking about right right so could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I want to make sure that people are aware of it and I want to send them to it because I think, you know, it makes sense for them to learn from someone as good as you. So um, if you what, could you just break down what, what Elance is? Yeah. So um, it's Prelance, um, P-R-E hyphen. Oh, sorry. Prelance. Yeah, no, sorry. it's fine. Um, so <laughs> the name came up because it's the things you do prior to freelancing. So um, what you need to prep for and what you need to prepare for. And I had started this a uh, little over two years ago and I had met a girl in a Facebook group and I had some idea, like, I want to start this e-course. I've had this idea for a long time. A lot of people have been asking me about the logistics of freelancing. How do I write a contract? How, I, how do I do estimates? How do I get my first client? 
really basic things, but things that stopped people from pursuing freelance because they didn't know how. And then taxes mm -hmm. in the US, how do I pay my taxes? I'm super scared. So a lot of people, again, they didn't pursue freelance just because they didn't know how to write a contract or they didn't know how to pay their taxes. And I felt really sad that that would stop someone and prevent someone mm -hmm. from trying to work for themselves. And I was like, well, why don't I share that? Because I, I at least can share my experience and what I've done. So I met my business partner in a Facebook group um, we had connected and she's really good at marketing and the back end things for, for e-courses. And then I, I, you know, we worked it out to where I was more of the face of it and I was the teacher and she could handle all the back end. And so it worked out perfectly for us because she did everything I didn't want to and vice versa. And, um, we got together, a. a beta students. I had joined every Facebook group that I could find that was a, a club, like a graphic design club in the US. Um, joined them all, gave them free information and asked them questions, did some research, like, what do you want to know? What's your biggest struggle in freelancing? Because I already had the idea, okay, I'm going to teach and teaching's in my blood. I taught piano from 16 to 22 when I was in college. Um, and it's just, my mom's a teacher. I think it's something that's just in me that I, I love learning, but I also love to teach what I learn and it reinforces what I know when I teach it. Um, so I was already, I was primed for it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I got a beta beta group together from the graphic design clubs that I joined on Facebook. Um, they went through it for free, gave me some, some tips on it. And I went through everything from what tools that I use. So everything from what platform I use to host my website. What did I use when I first put up a portfolio website? What does that include? I did portfolio reviews with them. Um, I did like what kind of uh, target audience should you, should you target and how should you present yourself? Um, and these people, I'm, I was really trying to serve people who were just graduating college. So people who were maybe in their senior year of college, coming out of that, be, that they want to start freelancing and they maybe want to get a full-time job possibly, but they also want to do freelance on the side. Um, and, and so I was really trying to talk to that audience because I remember graduating and just having to talk to friends and how do you, how do I, con how do I do a contract? How do I send an invoice? I don't know. How, how do I even price or talk on the phone to a client? It's scary. <laughs> Yes, for a 21-year-old kid, it's just, it's scary to do that. And so I wanted to give, I was trying to think of my former self, and I wanted to give everything that I wish I would have learned back mm -hmm. then. I wanted to teach that. And so um, how to get, you know, your first client, how to price a job. So I break it down and how to just start pricing. And the whole idea is just start, just do it. Yeah. Give a number and you can go forward. But I give formulas and how I worked out my original pricing. Um, and then workflow. So how to back up your projects, how to project manage them. And um, yeah, taxes for US-based um, designers. So I'm really giving, it's, it's not necessarily mindset. It's, um, cause I know there's different teachers teach different things. So like Chris Doe is very concentrated on mindset. I am more concentrated on, this is how you do X, Y, Z. This is how you yeah. do a contract. This is how you, this is how I price just because again, that's what stopped people very beginning people from jumping into freelance. So that's what I'm trying yes. to get. No, I think that's really vital because it's kind of um, uh, they're, they're all valuable. I'm not 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 knocking mindset at all, but there is something about uh, it. Certainly helps to have like the nuts and bolts figured out, so you don't have to think too hard. And I think it's the whole left brain, right brain thing. And as you say, it's it's always good if you can get someone else to do it who who's familiar and has got the patience to do that certain thing. But if you haven't, um, the idea of trying to work out a contract and pricing. Is quite intimidating so you do want almost like a blueprint to like to follow so i can get started and then as soon as i build my confidence i can evolve and adapt but like i said i think that that sort of initial part is, is huge so i think that sounds really good and so if people wanted to if they were curious about this what, what's the web address they need to go to it's prelance.com pre p-r-e-hyphen-l-a-n-c-e.com perfect check and they there. can check it out yeah no I, I had a look at it and it's still I mean it's fairly timeless what you're teaching like you said it, it's the same principles 
Um, and one thing I noticed, which I really liked, was what you said about you joined lots of groups to do your research. I think for me that there's always that balance. It's more talking about content and there's always the distribution angle. And I think I certainly have found that I, in the agency, you'd always have like media buyers who would always buy the, the TV spot or whatever you were doing and they took care of that. But now I've certainly found that the, the problem if you are a freelancer and you're trying to attract clients, half the battle is doing the work and then getting it out to the right people. And one thing I've come across is it is that thing of joining quite a lot of groups where your where your clients are hanging out and becoming part of that community. So not only can you ask questions, but also when you have work, you're they're much more open to, to you know actually looking at what you're doing. And that's something I, I speak to a lot of people they don't do. They kind of they join a couple and think well, that's okay. But like I think you really need to probably be like double figures and kind of just be in there absorbing it. So I think that's a sort of um, very shrewd move there. So I have to say. I like that. Yeah. And I would like to add to the community thing. That's how we met. We met through a community. Mm -hmm. And I I cannot speak highly enough of joining communities, being involved in the ones that are are giving value, but also ones that you can give value back and Mm -hmm. being involved. Like and and that's something I have been learning the past two years. So that was the first. I think that was the first time I really did jump into groups was when I was doing my research. And then the more I got involved, I thought, no, this is where we all should be. We should really be involved, whether it is Facebook or other groups. We should somehow find our communities and find the communities, again, that you can learn from, but then you can also bring value to as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's huge. I think it's, um, like I said, it's just it's that thing of you can learn so much from other people because they've often been there and, they've got, and they can answer the same questions. And it's a massive shortcut to sort of developing, isn't it? And I think that's, that's well, that does segue nicely into the, the pro group, which is, I think, I, I'd have come across you because the future stuff and I was in the pro group. And you were saying, so you joined that group, is that correct? And you were, you were doing a lot of, you were being very active and Chris spotted that? So I actually met Chris before. Um, it's kind of a funny story and how I ended up on the future and how I met Chris. I found his I found his original content from one of the students that was in my pre-lance beta course. And we were talking okay. about pricing. So it was a funny time that I would come across Chris, but I um, he had posted the the student had posted it in our group and he said, Hey, there's this guy talking about how to charge for a logo. And it was the video of Chris telling people that he charges eighteen thousand dollars for a logo. And so that the student posted it and he goes, and I still don't understand how to price a logo. And I thought, well, good, because I can I can help with that. And I didn't know who Chris was. And so I looked at his info. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, he's given some good info right here. And I forgot about him. And so about eight months later, I see him pop up again and I see his content. And then I realized that, oh, he was a professor at Art Center, a school that's very close here, that very well known, really, really good. And that was a school that I had wanted to go to, but didn't even try. But then I saw, well, if he's teaching even logo, because he was teaching logo design on Facebook for free. And I thought, Mm -hmm. well, if he's giving this for free and it was something I wanted to learn in the first place, I'll just learn from him now. So I started following him on Facebook. He posted some logo exercises and I started doing them and it was tracing uh, famous logos to understand the different forms and just get to know it. And so I think I did about 10 of those took me forever. And I think I got a cramp in my wrist from it, but over weeks time I would do it. And then I'd post it on the Facebook group because he encouraged engagement. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And then I started doing the logo studies where then after you've traced it, you actually study, you just make notes. What is it Mm -hmm. about the logo that you've noticed? And so you start noticing how things line up. You start noticing shapes and repetition and it just trains your eye. And so Chris caught on that I had been, I follow it for weeks and I'd have to scroll down all the way to the post because they didn't have the save the post feature during that time on Facebook. I'd scroll down and I'd post my work and he, and I was the only one after a while that would keep posting. And so he's like, who are you? Why are you doing this? This is obviously good. You're putting time into this. So you don't need it, obviously. So who are you? Do you own an agency? And so we started talking and he, um, he asked me to Skype. And I freaked out because Chris, at that point, I realized, oh, you're really well known and you want to Skype me. This is crazy. So I was obviously nervous. Um, 
And from there, we had a couple coach, he did informal coaching for me. And I, I shared my um, struggles and I shared with him too, that he's highly um, unapproachable and not relatable. And then I don't know how I could even charge as much as he would. So he liked the fact that I was honest and asked yeah. him those questions. And he said, you're asking me questions that I know a lot of my audience has. So why don't you come on the show and we just have a discussion. You can ask those questions and I can answer them because I didn't even know I should answer those questions. So that's how I ended up on the show. And then from there, he added me to the, the pro group um, as added, you know, community and to be involved. And then, then I just got really involved in the pro group. So it was kind of a strange, I met him on Facebook. It's kind of Yes. <laughs> no, it's cool. Like I said, it's, um, the dynamic is very good between you two. Like I said, it's really compelling. It's kind of, um, there's always a danger of it's just overwhelming. And I think I certainly know that you can end up just consuming too much and it just leaves you exhausted kind of thing. But I noticed that, like I said, the, the, the discussions are really good because they were really sincere and they were they're the classic, they're the same old questions that people always ask. How much should I charge? And, you know, and, and so I, I really enjoyed those. And there was a constant, you could see your development as you were kind of, I'd imagine it was more when you started, it was very much uh, aspiring designer who was looking to sort of move into more strategic led things. And then as you've done more recently, I mean, you're now you're offering brand strategy through your agency and everything. So you've, you've sort of evolved over time with his help. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, I came into his discussions, a designer who was highly confused on anything strategy and realized that I was giving, I was doing some strategy with clients that I didn't even know I was doing. And I didn't mm -hmm. know how to quantify that nor charge for it. So once I learned, oh, no, that's a thing, like there's actually brand strategists and they go through frameworks and they come out with an actual tangible thing, a direction. When I realized that was something I could learn and offer, it, it's like all the stars aligned and I got it. I understood. And yeah, it's been a wonderful year of growing and developing and, and filling in the gaps that I really needed as a designer because once I learned strategy, I thought, well, this was the missing piece. This was yeah. what I needed all along. If I had this piece, I would have, I would have uh, skipped over a lot of heartache, I believe. Yes, no, exactly. So I guess, um, and so just to elaborate a little bit, would you mind just sharing what your process is typically? So what it would have been, I suppose, briefly, and then what it is now to sort of illustrate that change? Yeah. So uh, previous to learning strategy, I was offering uh, mainly branding identity projects. That's what I was working on. So logos with color palette, um, the look and the feel anything to do with that typography. So that whole package I was offering. And I did that through a questionnaire. So when a client came to me, I had them fill out a very lengthy questionnaire that took them days to fill out. And I kept adding questions because I always had great questions to ask. And I didn't realize once I realized, once I met with Chris that I was giving my client homework. And he told me, mm -hmm what are you doing? You're giving your clients homework to do. You know how tough this is on a client to think through the answers. And I thought, no, I never thought of my, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't have empathy for my client. I was just thinking of myself and what I needed from them to design. So yeah. I would get the questionnaire. I would design three very uh, elaborate um, directions that were already polished and then present it to them. They'd pick. So it was, it was not a collaborative effort at all, I would say. Yeah. Um, and then now my strategy process, well, branding process in general is you, the client goes through an interactive in-person workshop, either one to two days where instead of a questionnaire, it's turned into, it's a framework that I go through very similar to the same questions I even would ask in the questionnaire, but I'm able then in person to make it a collaborative effort where I'm more so pulling ideas out of the client instead of giving them any expertise that I have. And I start connecting dots. I start hearing things that they repeat that maybe are um, important to their backstory that make them unique, something about their ideal client. And so we go through branding exercise. We go through an ideal client exercise, make a persona. And then we go through goals and, and priorities, things that they need to start working on that will connect their brand to their ideal client. Then from there, I have everything that I need 
to design not only the branding, but also to write some messaging. And that is something I've never offered before strategy because I was scared. I was scared of writing words. I was scared of copywriting. No idea how to do it. But once I learned how to do strategy, I realized, oh, this the copy and the messaging almost writes itself. You already know what mm-hmm. to say. So then when I went to design the identity, it was so much easier to present ideas. And I only present one idea, one direction, maybe some iterations off that. But by the time we get to that one idea, we've done so much work in strategy that they have signed off on, that they agree with, because it's their idea. I'm just putting visuals to it that by the time we get to the end, they're like, yep, that's what it's supposed to be. And it's not this big unveil of a presentation that they were, they're like, oh, where did that come from? It's, I never get that reaction anymore. It's very, um, people are in agreement with it, which is Mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. Like you say, it's, it's, it's almost this thing of, um, it's probably, I don't know whether you felt this, but I know when I worked in the agency, we were just given the brief. So all your job was to write the script or do the creative, and that was it. So I never got much of an insight into how this was all put together, who did the planning, what was the strategic approach. And it's funny, I've got a friend who I used to work with who she's a, a just just brand strategist only, and her specialism is kind of she works with mainly sort of charities, but it's 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 doing quite complicated high-up strategy sort of in organisations. But she was the one who was writing the briefs for me in the agency. So when she was asking me, like, have you not thought about this or have you not got like a formal process? And I was like, well, I have sort of, but you realize, God, yeah, I never had to do this. So I was always kind of, I just wanted the brief. So when you have to, like you said, this, this area where you're, you know, you're, you're sitting with the client to work out exactly what they need for their business and asking the questions you need in order to do your job. I think that for me was, as you say, it kind of opened it up a little bit more because it's like, yeah, these are the questions I want to ask. And a questionnaire is clumsy. And it's also just it puts a lot of people off. And I used to think, oh, it's great because it puts off the time wasters, but it actually just locks the door so no one can get in. It's like pulling up the drawbridge. It's like you're expecting them to scale the castle to get in to have a chat with you. And then you've got loads of questions which would always happen afterwards anyway. So I I agree it's kind of um, having some sort of process beforehand before you actually start working is so important. But it's also... And I did make, I was talking to someone in the group. It's kind of, it's, it's more than just questions. There has to be a structure which will elicit a response, which is going to actively affect the outcome of what you're trying to do. It's not just, here's some interesting questions so I can learn a little bit more. And I think that's where um, I'm always cautious to explain the difference and say, you know, if you're going to do strategic, you are moving into business and there is an element of liability and you have to have personal liability insurance and all these other factors because if you're going to get alongside the client and talk about business decisions and what is good for their business, that's got to be taken with some care sort of thing. So I think I agree with you. It's a, a valuable process to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would also add that my work got exponentially better when mm-hmm. I started implementing mm-hmm. strategy. And I believe that's because a, a questionnaire, you only get surface level answers and yeah, you can ask some follow-up questions, but when you do a when you do strategy and you have a framework you're going through and you ask a question and someone the client is telling a story and you find there is a, I call them a golden nugget you find the gold and you're like wait can you talk about that can we go deeper mm-hmm. in that story and you go so deep that you find the essence of who they are what their brand is meant to do and that unique differentiator that nobody else has. And I don't believe that I ever was able to tap into that from a questionnaire. And I have been able to tap into that in strategy. And then from there, the design is not superficial. And I feel that my design previous to or prior to strategy was very superficial, where it's like, yeah, it's fine design, but whatever, it's nothing that unique about it. Whereas now I'm happy with it. I'm very proud of it. My client is happy with it. And it's just, it's a lot better. It's a lot better than what it was before. Yeah, I think like I said, it's got substance and meaning and everything is, there's a dis- deliberate sort of decision behind each component, which is rooted in some sort of truth that they've told you. Right, exactly. And so um, now you're on the show, what, so what are the future plans for, for you and your agency and moving forward? I mean, you, you, you've always been keen to go into teaching. And I think when you've talked to me about um, 
your views in education always excite me and it's kind of so what what sort of plans what, what are you up to at the moment well at the moment i am i'm working on both a branding consultancy and the teaching in tandem because i figure anything that i learn while do while running my consultancy i can teach and so i i am um in i'm doing that at the same time and so i'm spending I don't want to say 50, it's not 50, 50. I don't really know what it breaks down to, but a large majority of my time is spent teaching, but it's also spent working in the branding consultancy. Cause I want to teach right when I learn it. I don't want to mm -hmm. wait years down the line to teach something. Um, so currently I am, I'm still pursuing branding clients in the lifestyle space. And not only that, it's, it's kind of interesting how things are overlapping. I'm also doing some strategy for people just like myself. So other designers who are not sure of their niche or of their direction or their unique selling proposition that they aren't very well branded themselves. Cause I don't know about you, but I know that most designers have their hardest project and their hardest client is themselves. They cannot yeah. brand themselves. And so they, a lot of the people who've watched me in the future see, well, you could help me because you brand not only for clients, but then you also brand people that are other creatives. And so I'm starting to do that. And it's really fun. It's really fun because I understand their pain points because I was there and then yeah. I can do strategy so they can not only learn about their own business um, and get branding for themselves, but they can also learn the process because they went through it as a client. So then if they want to offer strategy themselves, they've been through it so they can also offer it. So it's this weird, there's weird crossover, but it's really exciting for me to, to be able to serve the creative community in that way as well. Yeah. I think I did a, a similar thing. I did um, a strategy session for uh, an agency who were considering offering it. And I did find myself almost breaking character to go, okay, yeah. so what I'm going to say now is, or that point, do you, do you see why I did that? And I, why I said these things and they go, oh, okay. So, okay. Anyway, back to the, and you had to kind of, but it was really, like you say, it's quite interesting. You learn it a lot more because you're thinking with two brains. I've mm -hmm. got to deliver it, but also how much, what are the teaching points here? Exactly. And like say, it's the irony of people really struggle to do their own branding. It's, it's very difficult. It's really, uh, it's, I kind of, um, I think you've almost got to cheat. You've either got to get someone else to do it or almost be the, this anonymous third-party client and really step back and just try and, you know, not be too precious about it and kind of just get on with it. Well, with that, I, I'm curious because I always wonder how do people brand themselves? How did you brand your, what was your process with branding? I think, uh it, it's it's not that exciting. I think with do you know what it was it that well, with, with several things. So with education, what's really odd is there is an aesthetic which I really like, which is kind of uh, it's it's a kind of it's quite American, but it's kind of like a sort of artisan, almost retro like typographic badge look, which is quite common. Um, and I really like certain designers, like I'm trying to think, well, like Simon Walker and Hoodspur and all these type of people, and you follow them uh, and. You, you, I, the ones I save on Instagram is like a real specific look that I just don't do at all. So I thought, well, I'll do the education like that because I like it and I can find some nice typefaces which I know will work together. And it's kind of the colours all work and I'll just do that and that suits me because I like it. And in the end, I thought, well, that'll do because I like it and it's not too polished. And then when I was rebranding, so I'm, offer, I'm opening uh, a part of my studio is going to be specifically for hospitality. And because I've, I've got experience in that world, and I think it's a bit like anything when you come to choosing your target audience, when you decide to pick a quite narrow market who you're going to talk to, everything becomes super easy because all of a sudden you know exactly who you're talking to and exactly what they're going through, and you you know every job compounds itself. So actually that exercise, which did originally start, and it's sort of an example for the education, it's purely to say, look, I'm doing a branding studio, but it's a real pain in the ass for me because my clients are really varied. So you might have, you know, JJ Watt on one hand, and then you've got a financial sports betting startup. And then I did this thing for People's Vote in London. And then I did it my friend's sort of Burger Beach Bar. And it's like there is no link here between any of this. So actually it becomes very difficult because any client who comes to you, they're going to go, well, how the hell does this? I run a hotel. How does JJ Watt? How does that help me? That's nothing to do with what I do. So you, you, you know that you're not helping yourself. 
So the irony is, if I'm being very honest here, the Oakmont house is the name of the hospitality branding. And there is nothing to it. I have to be honest. It's purely, I decided to pick a name which I thought sounded about right. And I looked up the most expensive roads in the world in various cities. And I looked up like fancy places and houses and hotels. And I was like, well, I'll just pick and choose which I think will go together. And then if the domains are available, that'll do. And I'll just literally get it to work enough so it feels like it's from that industry, not overthink it and get on with it. But for the branding with that, I wanted it to feel a lot more considered and slightly more sophisticated. So the positioning is um, a bit more elegant and a bit more refined because I felt that with that, that's who I'd want to go after. I would like to go after um, smaller, not quite independent, but maybe one or two chains, people who who value the aesthetics. So the, so the artisan coffee shop owner, and I see on your stories, you go to these astonishingly stunning places to have just coffee, and I'm just so jealous. And um, and you look at it and go, that's my dream client. Someone who gets the aesthetics, they're kind of really passionately into it, but ideally someone who is actually making some money because a lot of these people who I meet are so passionate, but they just they can barely pay themselves. And so mm. you know from the beginning, this is an interesting marketplace because there's not much money here as much as I might love it. So I decided to deliberately... Uh, adjust the value position to be slightly higher than that but the aesthetic is quite clean it's quite stylish it's quite sophisticated but that's simply just to appeal to that market and to appeal to the type of clients i want to go for and i was very keen to i found a typeface it was called k-o-o-r and i saw it very briefly and haven't seen it since it's been taken away but i bought it straight away and that's the house typeface i use and i use that across everything and then i just keep quite a quiet sort of toned refined palette so it's quietly quite sophisticated i suppose but i didn't think too hard about it i was like look you can actually get on with this and once it's done it's kind of all that's fine you know so i, I could have spent ages pontificating about oh that's really nice but, but the reality is that i could have spent ages pondering over what i could be doing but i think there's something in just going no get on with it that will do and then we'll we'll just keep moving forward and then we'll come back to it if it's terrible and actually once it's set in stone you're fine with it yeah so it's so hard it's a real challenge and like i said it was all down to who am i targeting and what do i want my position as far as value perception within that industry to be so that was what they, they were the two things i judged it on i picked a name which sounded right i picked a look which would be fairly expensive but not too expensive and that was enough for me so yeah, I love what you said about, you know, just pick it and get on with it and move forward. I think that is such a that's such good advice. Because it's something like even in picking a name for marks and maker, it's like, yeah, I could have picked a bit a better name, I'm sure, because people mix it up. It's like maker's mark, like the whiskey, or they just mix it up all the time. But I figure, you know what? I'm just gonna pick something and I'm gonna go with it and just because yeah. I, I because you can spend how long? I already spent, I don't even know how long, a month figuring that out. And I figured, okay, all of the URL or the URL is open. All of the social media handles are open. I'm just going to do it because it's the yeah. easiest thing and it's there. And then by the end of it, it's like you get linked anyway. And so it's not like someone's going to type it in, www. your name, whatever. No, I love your name. I think your name's, I think the name is beautiful and it's really, and the quality of work is so refined and stylish. It seems to fit. But again, that's kind of like my projection. But I think it's always tough because you know. And I know that when I've done naming exercises, they can be a, a nightmare because it's so subjective. And I always find if you, you always end up leaving it too long and then you'll see like a new typeface, you'll come up and go, oh, that'd be perfect. Or I like what they're doing. And it's almost like because you're taking so long, you're not committing. <laughs> yeah. And it's just better just to go, just get on with it. And before you know it, it will just be kind of real. And that's cool. And that'll do. Right. So that's, yeah, that's, that's. I think that's the thing. I, I my friend's starting up a, a consultancy like private chefing, mm. and he's like, I can't think of a name, and he just goes, I quite like the name Tarragon. I was like, Well, it's fine. Just get on with it. That's that's. I said, It's fine. I quite like it as well. It's fine. Don't overthink it. It's better just to get on with the business. Yeah. And work it out afterwards. It's not terrible, you know. So let's let's just go. And I think that's half the. It seems to be, and this was something Dustin said when he was talking about the people that do well at making passive income products it was kind of they have a, a a level of being able just to get on with it and ship it and keep moving and if it doesn't quite work they don't mind they just do another one 
And he said, it's not talent necessarily. It's just commitment to just, I'm going to try, I'm going to do it and just keep going. And then if it's a real problem, I might revisit it. But actually, it's more important to keep moving and keep keep developing the business. And then I'll cut, you know, it's done. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree with that with passive income or really any business. And I noticed that had to come into play for me when I got on Chris's show last year and he gave me all these wonderful things to start doing and I started doing them and I realized my business started going down the tank because I was shifting and I was, I was pivoting. And it makes sense that when you make a pivot, you're going to lose the clients and you need to fire some that don't fit in then with your new positioning and where you're headed. And so as I was switching to brand strategy, I realized that I saw the end, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I saw what I wanted, even though I, my business was not doing well at that very moment. I knew that I just needed to keep going, just keep moving forward, just keep learning, just keep aiming at what you want. And it does take patience and it does, you have to have some thick skin and be okay with risk taking, whether that Mm. is passive income or not, that you're going to, you're possibly going to not waste a ton of hours, but you're going to invest a lot of hours that you're not going to get paid for. And they're going to be not billable hours that you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to practice and you're going to have to build up your portfolio or work on your messaging and then redo your messaging and then do your website and then redo your website because you realized it didn't connect with people. And, and you just have to know that that's the name of the game. That's, that's what you're in for. It's not one and done. You you have to keep going. Yeah. But that's, I, I love that insight because that's the real killer, isn't it? It's that thing of, I'm investing in something that I think will pay off, but the longer I have to keep the faith, it's kind of, it's, it's like digging for gold. It's like, I'm pretty confident there's gold here, but like, I just, the temptation to just keep changing, I think is the killer. I think you've got to kind of, you have to weather the storm and, and stay the course and go, no, no, I know that this shift is worth it. And I think there was a, there's a good book called Built to Sell, which is kind of documents that process where he's making that transition to a much more scalable agency model and he goes from offering everything and having really overbearing clients just going no i'm just going to do logos and all the staff that can't do it will be fired and all the clients that don't want that will be fired and i'll have to strip right back but actually if i hire the right people and keep going and i think that's certainly uh, that was the reason to, to do the hospitality thing was it, i just wanted to do it as a test to make to, make, to lead the way because I tell people, yeah, you should narrow down. And then it's that thing of, but one of my questions for the longest time was, should I narrow down? Or like, but surely it's like a weird, weird trick. You have this constant conversation of like, yeah, I'll narrow down, but, but should I really? And you just batter yourself with it. So again, I just got on with it. And like you say, I think it's important that people understand that there's a lot of long hours where it's you're going to think, have I made the right decision? So it's, it's important you keep the faith because I think, I know certainly, I mean, you, your testament to this, you've, you've evolved every step of the way. And like you said, making that jump from, you could have stayed a successful designer, but having the curiosity to investigate, actually strategy would be a really good thing to offer. It really complements my process. But not only that, it's, it's quite lucrative because now I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm elevating myself away from the other designers to offer something quite unique. And then there's also that challenge of how do I sell this to clients? How do I convince them that this is something they should pay for? How do I tell them I offer this without, you know, so I don't go, I'm not just a strategy agency. We can do the design as well. So there's this real challenge. And I know that you, having bought the the core framework, I think that that course, and I found that that was quite an interesting sort of framework, but you, you brought out something which was how to explain and sell the strategy. Is that right as well? Yes. Could you explain a little bit about that? Because I think that people... Certainly, um, I, I, I always say to everyone, buy the core program because I think that it's a really good, it's really good value, and I want to support what, what Chris and the guys are doing. Um, so I always encourage them to say, look, take a job and charge an extra five hundred dollars, knowing that you will invest that straight in that course, and then from then on, if you apply it properly, you can make money doing that, or certainly offering that. And you hear success stories in the pro group. But what was interesting was you were. It was another problem I think freelancers were having, wasn't it? Trying to explain what strategy was and why clients need it. So could you just break that down? Because that might be, 
a really good stepping stone for a lot of people to purchase. Yeah. So in when I learned strategy and even before, so before I learned it, my idea of strategy was so vague. Like people would try to describe it to me and I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Like, okay, what are we doing? What's our goal? And I, I had sat in on a couple meetings, not anyone who did core from the future, but just people who were strategists. And I still was confused. I'm like, I don't even know how I would describe that to a client. I don't even know how to articulate it to another peer or to myself. And so when I learned core um, and learned how to do brand strategy, I got that down. Okay, I've learned it. I can do it with clients. And then I ran into the issue of how do I communicate this and how do I sell it and how do I make it a part of my process, but not only make it a part of my process, sell it separately. And that's something mm -hmm. that Chris had encouraged me to do is don't just package it with your identity project as, oh, this is just instead of a questionnaire, I now do strategy, but it's all included in the price. He encouraged me and others to sell it on its own as its own service so that whatever because you'll uncover things in strategy. And and you, mm -hmm. usually if you do it correctly, you uncover things the client never even thought of and projects and um, different things, that initiatives that you could do with a client, either you or someone else, um, that more deliverables. And you uncover a ton of, really, you uncover masses amount of, of deliverables potentially because mm -hmm. um, really what, what, brand strategy, what I've done is you have the brand, you have the client, and these are all the things we can do to connect them. And this is mm -hmm. what could work. So it becomes way bigger than just an identity project. But it's still, it was really hard to get on a call with someone who called me because they wanted identity. And then I had to pivot and go, yes, but here's what this is what you know i had to switch the conversation and that was a lot of if you watch the future a lot of chris coaching me and how do you pivot that conversation um but it even after that coaching and me doing it with clients multiple times it's still i needed a way not only to communicate it to clients but i needed to understand it in mm -hmm. in my own mind how do i how do i even think of strategy how does it help a client so I collaborated with um, another pro group member, Zach Schmaze, because um, we, we were good friends from meeting in the pro group. We had even learned core together. So we would watch the videos, we would talk about it, we would go do it with clients, come back and talk about it again um, so that we could really solidify it in our process. And so we had been chatting and I told him of the problem. And so we had discussed um, about coming out with a kit that was, a, I would say, a, a complement to Core, that it's called Prealign, and it's through Zach's company called Straight Method. So we were the first um, kit that came out on Straight Method, um, but he's having different, so we call them kits. It's just a, it's a PDF, uh, multiple PDFs in that kit um, to explain different concepts. So I think you just came out with one about typography, and there's other coming out about um, UX and UI with different other collaborators. But the first one that came out was Prealign. And it's really, it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a selling tool. It's a communication tool, but it's mm -hmm. used during the sales process. And it's something I use either in a sales process. I use um, even just to understand it in metaphors. And how do you explain strategy? How is it going to help the client? If you were to describe it to someone you met on the street, how could you communicate that? And so we um, developed this kit and it's, you know, again, it's a communication tool. So if you were to buy it and go through it, it would first help the designer or the strategist understand for themselves what strategy is and how it's going to help the company. And then yep. it also can be used in the sales process as well. Okay. And where can people pick that up if they want to know more about that? They can check that out at straightmethod.com. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I saw that come on, and I think it's um, uh, the core process. Have you have you changed that or evolved that from what it was, or have you kept to that structure pretty much? I've I've that? evolved it a lot actually because um, core was because core was made with Jose, and Jose is more website and and software and app bent that way. And so mm -hmm. I changed it to really fit branding projects. Mm 
So I yeah. do have my own um, process and I evolve it with every client, but I've added, I've added and taken away some things and restructured it because it, some of it was just confusing for myself. And so I, I redid it. And then a lot of us in the pro group, um, we collaborated and talked about how we each changed it. And so then we were able to see what everyone else did and change it for ourselves. Um, so we even had a pro call about that. Like how did each of us change core for our own? Okay. That's interesting. I'm not going to have a look at that. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I've, I've evolved it certainly. Um, and I found it very useful actually. It's kind of, um, I had to do a briefing session and then I did, I took elements of it, but I had to do that from scratch, but I've generally found it quite helpful and quite useful sort of to, like you say, it's what the, I think one of the nicest things is, well, from a sort of monetary or job point of view, it, it brings out so many actually quite useful solutions for the client that they will half recommend, you know, you're, you're, you're not forcing it upon them, but you can walk out of of the single meeting and have like up to 10 projects lined up that they think, yeah, we need to tackle these. And you go, well, I never would have uncovered anything close to that if I'd just taken them at face value sort of thing. Exactly. And they, and what's awesome is the client's really excited. Like they're really yeah. excited about what came out of it. And then I've even added a portion where I help them create a timeline. So I'm almost writing the proposal with them and saying, mm -hmm. okay, when did you, now that we know all the deliverables that need to be done, we know the goal, let's chart out a timeline. And if we have to bring in other people, if we need to refer you out to another agency for to do something else that I don't provide, let's, let's get that done on paper so that we can figure it out. So then it ends up being, again, a collaborative effort that you don't come in as, because I know designers have this thing where they're always against their client. It's like, they're all yeah. like, the client's always wrong or they're always having issues or the clients from hell. Like it's, it's sad to me because you don't, we don't need that type of a relationship with our clients and it shouldn't be like that. And so mm -hmm. strategy has, especially the end portion where you're mapping out those deliverables, you can write a proposal with them. You don't have to go in your cave and come back with the price. You can actually talk about everything. You can talk about timeline. You can talk about price and they already trust you because you've yeah. gone through maybe a two day workshop and they already know like you get us. And that's, I've, I've gotten that said to me so many times, like, Oh, you get us. You totally understand. And so they yeah. end up trusting you with everything. And I think that, that little bit there, although it's small, that's hugely important almost to getting them to commit. Because I think like with any workshop, the danger is it's great in the room. And then that energy dissipates and then you come back with, okay, here's the list of proposals that we agreed you'd do. And they're like, yeah, we, we're just really busy at the moment. And I think like you said, nailing that down and go, okay, so if we're going to get the right people involved, we need to put a timeline so I can book them, start the jobs. And I feel like you say, if they're doing that with you, it's a small but very significant step that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I can see that because I've done it and that isn't an element I'd probably work in. I just would kind of come back and it would get put in. But it would, it would feel like kind of there would be a, certainly a dip in urgency between the session and then when are we getting started. So I think that's a, that's a good move to kind of factor that in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's helped. Yeah, I love that. It's funny. I came across, I don't know if you heard this, there's, I came across one which was this lady was offering like a two-day build a brand in two days or two or three days. And the price was $50,000. It's mm. extraordinary. It's like build a badass brand. And it's just bonkers. I'll send it to you because it just blew my mind that kind of that's a thing that you're getting. Were they good? Did you see any examples? I did. I feel, if I'm being honest, I don't think they were great. They felt mm. rushed. It, it felt undercooked, which is a strange, it's a really crap description, but it's a strange quality of when you see design that's been rushed. It's something like if it was color, it would feel a familiar color. But when you're good at color and you take time, it's like if you're painting, there's a certain tone or depth to the tone of color you're able to find. And then so people who have put more energy into it or slightly more evolved can match colors in a way or, or find typefaces which are unusual. And it just gives a sophistication to it. So I do think um, it's fascinating just to look at and go, my God, you're offering like a one day workshop for $20,000. That's extraordinary that there are people out there that would pay that. But also I do feel, I have to say it felt rushed a bit kind of chaotic but i don't but again i think that anyone who's looking to pay that kind of money for that service it's a very different thing you're almost i think the lady running it has got a book called badass your brand so i think that's the whole thing of 
it's the novelty of working with the author and kind of going through all that kind of thing. Yeah. Last energy, it's just it's just bonkers. It just came to yeah, mind. Yeah, I want to see that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I, I find too, when you said, you know, having a two day or one day, two day workshop for $20,000, I I think back at why someone would want to go through strategy. Cause for clients, you know, we have to figure out the motivating factor and what their emotional connection would be to strategy. And I've realized that for my clients, like for that one, it seems like, okay, I want a badass brand in two days. Like that's yeah, their, their motivating time. It's the turnaround time. Now with mine, that go through strategy, I'm finding that the way I communicate it and the ones that I'm attracting, which I'm very happy about, are those that know they vaguely need, they want what I'm I'm displaying as far as they want the look and the feel and the aesthetic that they're seeing me put out, but they also are highly confused. They're highly confused in how to get there. They're like, I have so many ideas and I don't have clarity. I don't know my brand story. I don't know what makes me special, but I know it's something like I know it's like they deep down know it's there, but they need someone to pull it out of them and they need someone and they want someone they trust. And so I have built that trust by showing them and being consistent with how I show my work. Like, this is what you can expect. This is what has come out of these sessions. And and then they go, okay, I know it's in me. It's somewhere in there. It's in our company. I just don't know how to get it out. And it's something that I think David C. Baker had described it as people need, people are inside of a water bottle trying to read their own label. And they mm-hmm. need an expert that's on the outside that can give a perspective, but they also need to be trusted. Like that, the person inside the water bottle to the client needs to know that that expert's going to really give them a good perspective and know what things are important to pull out and explore. Yeah. And you were saying so that you, you attracted the right kind of clients now. So when it comes to marketing your services, what sort of stuff are, are you doing to attract them? How are they finding you? What, what have you found that's worked well for you? Well, referrals have always without a doubt, been the best way for me to get clients. Um, But I've noticed the referrals have even gotten better. So by me being on podcasts, by me being just my face being around, even if the client doesn't listen or watch what I'm on, they know that someone else wanted me on the show. So I must have something to say. So that one, that is a good thing, I think, to get around, to be involved in your design community, that to even talk to designers, even if they're not your direct client, because your client's going to see that, oh, you were on so-and-so's podcast, like they must have wanted to hear what you had to say and they don't have to mm-hmm. listen to the podcast. They, it just gives you that credibility. So that's helped, um, but it doesn't give me necessarily direct clients. But what does give me direct clients are equipping my network, my friends, um, connecting them. Like I'm good friends with Bonnie saying and like getting, we you know, we share our networks too. Um, but someone like her, like she knows what I do and she knows how I do it. So I explained to my friends, Hey, I, I usually am really excited about project and like, Oh my gosh, this is what I did. And I am always talking about what I'm doing and then mm-hmm. what I'm looking for. So then when a friend is out talking to their friend, they're like, Oh, Oh, you need that. Well, Melinda is actually looking for a client in the, you know, let's say, um, interior design space. Like I should connect you. And so if you're con, I was constantly talking about like strategy, I would be nonstop talking about it to my friends to where they ended up referring me when they saw that their friends who were starting businesses were confused and they didn't know what to do next. And so I had some of my even design friends say, you shouldn't work with me. You should actually go to Melinda because she's going to solve your problem. So Mm -hmm. my friends and other designers that knew me actually were my informal, I would say sales reps. They knew how to sell me. And so I think just describing what you do, just, you know, make friends, make friends in in the business space too, and have fun at what you're doing. I think it'll catch, will catch on. But I think that's important because I know with referrals, there's a range of different ways of doing it. But like you say, the two things there are the type of clients you're looking for and what you're doing so that people are aware of how to sell you. And I think, so when you said to me, I'm looking for people, in the interior design space within seconds i i know someone who's in san diego who's a really cool young lady she's started up her own interior design thing and she's doing really well and i would go yeah i would that because i know that's the kind of client you're after 
and I'm aware of enough of what you do in your aesthetic, I'd have every confidence going, you need to speak to Melinda, you should look at her portfolio. I think it would totally fit. And I think it's, again, it's that thing of, I noticed even today when I was at the TEDx thing, I was explaining that I'm going to be launching a hospitality offshoot of what I'm doing. And people already go, oh, yes, I know so-and-so who runs this hotel group. They're having a refit next year, so maybe I could. It's it's amazing how I think being very clear on who you want to be working with really helps the other person. And it's that thing of when you're so broad, it doesn't pop up. They don't remember you because you're not. there's nothing to remember. Where if you're going, no, no, I really want to work with these type of people. And like you say, it's not boring them, but just always talking. When they hear that, it's going to trigger and they're going to go, oh, okay, I know how to refer you. So that, again, would be another byproduct of knowing your audience quite specifically. And when you do narrow that down and you go, well, I want to work with these type of people because I have done and I really enjoyed it. That's, I think, another reason to sort of narrow your focus a little bit, even if it's just to the type of person you want to work with. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would completely back that up. And I also would say that And I think, and I want to speak to designers who feel pigeonholed or scared to narrow themselves that much because what I did was I picked in the lifestyle umbrella, like, okay, I'm going to go for lifestyle. I'm not going to go for tech. I'm not going to go for medical. I'm going for lifestyle. But within lifestyle, we have fashion, beauty, home, travel, hospitality. So I'm just going through all of those those uh, verticals one at a time. So I hit up the fashion industry. I had a lot of, initially, I had a lot of clients that came to me that were fashion designers. They were accessory designers. That was amazing. I'm still working with some, a little less. So now I'm moving into the home. So then I I landed um, a home developer who had very similar aesthetic to me and we, we meshed really well. So then I talk to them and I say, hey, I'm looking for a boutique hotel. Do you know anybody? And then they're like, yeah, actually, one of our investors. And so I'm moving my way through. So it's like you don't have to pick one and then literally stay there for the rest of your career. You can yeah. you can move around, but just be very, very, very clear when you end up talking to someone like what I was talking to you, saying, I'm looking for an interior designer. Do you know anyone or, you know, keep that in mind. And then it triggers the mental, what they say, Rolodex in someone's head. And they flip through everyone they know really quick to see, okay, who is it? Oh yeah. So-and-so, or I'll come up fast for you. If you were to meet an interior designer that would fit my aesthetic, but then, you know, six months from now, I might talk to you again. You're like, Hey, what are you up to? I'm like, Oh, you know what? I'm actually looking for, um, I'm trying to get into the beauty industry. And then you're like, oh, I know someone who is starting, you know, a makeup no, company. I, or I know someone who does e-commerce marketing. I met them today and they're flying out to America to talk to a client. And that's exactly, as you say, it's the Rolodex thing of, and I noticed it, everyone I spoke to, they were all like, yes, I know someone in that space. Where before, it was always just you do branding. Like, and okay. like, you're thinking, well, that's narrow. but it, And again, that the problem, it, it compounds itself because they go to your website and there's no correlation or you're not, you don't know enough about their industry, so that's gonna they're not gonna have enough faith in your ability. And I think so that that makes a lot of sense. And and so you were saying you you would happily just kind of you've got a good enough relationship to go almost like I've got a gap coming up. I'm looking for this type of client. Do you know of anyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting because I've heard um, different types of referrals where you have to offer something for that person referring. And I was always there's always a rub between how salesy or how pushy do I want to be because most of my people I work with are friends so I don't want to be doing this almost formal sit down where we agree to refer each other with commission and all that kind of thing for me that I've I would rather not do that but I know that does hinder doing it but I think like you say that that thing of having the confidence just to say I've got a gap coming up I'm looking for this type of client do you know of anyone yeah and that's enough and I think that's and the ask is the killer thing yeah. Bloody ask. Yeah. Just ask. Yeah. And, and to go back to the referral fee, I've actually done, so for clients, it's usually casual conversation like, Hey, you know, I've noticed you've worked with these types of, you know, other partners and, you know, do you know anyone in this space that you could introduce me to? And that works really well. Now with, um, other creatives, there mm-hmm. has, there are some that I, we do have a referral fee set up that they just, if they were to have, let's say, overflow of inquiries that they're not able to take on or leads that they can't book and they would pass them to me, we've worked out a well, if anyone I pass to you, you land, then yeah. I give so and so a kickback. But it's not like um, I'm holding, you know, 
no one's holding clients hostage for the for that referral fee. It's so that ends up more natural. Whereas if it's a client ask, it's not. There's no referral fee usually for that, but it's usually within like the design community that I've found it's more common to, you know, give another agency a a referral fee. Sort of thank finders yeah. fee sort of thing. Yeah. And with with uh, and and do you do much marketing as far as uh, having an email list or do you push out your content to uh, loads of platforms or is it mainly just you know being active socially with friends i'm just trying to take on advice from someone who's doing it well for branding um it's only it's just being social and then yep. from there i'm building the relationship even further with designers because i do have an email a weekly email but it's strictly sharing my process that i'm doing in my branding company and so mm -hmm. i'm I'm getting to be known in the design community, which has actually helped me in my branding, which is really a weird thing because a lot of designers are like, well, I don't want to do, I don't want to target designers because that's not going to get me branding clients. Actually, I've gotten branding clients because I'm teaching, because of the designers that follow me. And so it's like, just give value some way, somehow, whether that's to designers, whether that's to people who are your clients, whether that is, I'm also big on connecting with people who serve your same target audience in a different way. Yeah, Maybe that's, that's a very good one. With accountants, CPAs, um, lawyers, bankers who give business loans. Um, gosh, there's so, it depends on your industry, but there's so many people that professional services that serve your community that you want to start branding for or do work for. And you could serve them. It's just serve someone, give value to mm -hmm. someone. Um, but yeah, my most of my great clients and even branding clients come from me just being active, even in just the design community. Yeah, no, I think that's, like I said, it, it comes all full circle to actually getting involved, isn't it? And that's the thing of, that's how it all started. That's how we met, how you met, met other people like Bonnie and Chris and everything. So I think uh, being active in communities is, is is it, there's a uh, multiple benefits of doing that so i think that's a good good takeaway from this agreed thank well thank you so much melinda it's been um very it's been i've learned a lot and i'm inspired and it's kind of renewed my because i i have to be honest sometimes when you look at uh social media and people getting on it's it's exhausting because it's kind of the constant broadcasting and you're like that's human nature but i always find that when i come away from hearing you speak I'm there's a really nice balance of optimism and I'm excited and not intimidated so thank you for that yeah. and I wanted to make sure that just to recap so if people wanted to take part in or you know follow your content or even you know sign up for your courses uh you had it was it pre-lance.com yes yeah and uh there was the in your website was it marks and maker yes marks and maker okay, yeah. dot com yeah. And there was the straightlinemethod.com, is that right? Uh, straightmethod.com. Straightmethod.com. Mm -hmm. And was there anywhere else that people can follow you? What's your uh, social handles and stuff like that? The main one that I'm on, it's Instagram under Melinda Livesey. So M-E-L-I-N-D-A, okay. Livesey, L-I-V-S-E-Y. That's where I'm mainly active. They can find me, you know, on all the other with Marks and Maker and everything, but I really don't post that much with those. Okay, cool. So I, I encourage everyone to follow Melinda. She's uh, extraordinarily talented and knowledgeable. And so I think, yeah, definitely someone, one to watch, that's for sure. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me here. No, thanks, thanks for coming on, man. I, th I think this would be really good. And I think, like I said, loads of value. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Cool. Your love is rated X. That means you're extra, extra. Mm -hmm.